You're listening to the Audacious Leadership Podcast. This interview was recorded by Senior Pastor Glenn Barrett during the coronavirus lockdown of 2020. For any more information about us, head to our website, audaciouschurch.com. Tonight, it's so great to have my really great friend, Pastor Paul Geerling, with us all the way from my home state in Australia, Queensland. Pastor Paul, great to have you with us tonight. Great to be with the Audacious Church family and great to be with you, Glenn. How are you doing, mate? Are you doing well? Yes, it's supposed to be winter here, but it's about still 25 degrees, you know, Celsius. So um, I'm in a T-shirt and um, I'm, I'm waiting for the cold weather to come because we need it. <laughs> hey, well, listen, mate, we, we have actually, we actually broke records in the month of May, the hottest, the hottest May, month of May ever in, in British records. I think I'm right wow. in saying that. And in fact, since lockdown began in, in March, we've had consistently and faithfully really really good weather until the last few weeks it's gray it's overcast but i gotta be honest paul right living in manchester you get used to the rain and after no rain for like four or five weeks the other day it rained and i opened the curtains in the morning it was like seeing a long lost friend to come home to stay it was amazing <laughs> uh, look living in manchester is, a, is, a, is god's slice of paradise in the uk i love manchester it's a great place no, we love it when you come over, Paul. Paul, just give us a little bit of a snapshot of your life. Um, you know, where you were born, where you were, where you were brought up, uh, family life, and also IC Church. Just a, a little bit of a context for you. Yeah, look, um, I'm one of three boys. I'm the oldest of three sons. My dad's a, he came over after the war from Holland. My mum's an Australian. And we grew up in country Victoria, which is just outside of Melbourne in a regional area um, in a farming district. My dad was a school teacher and my mum was a hairdresser. And I just went to a little country church, pioneer church in the country. I was the only teenager for about five years in my church, little village. And then, you know, when I finished high school, went to a church in Adelaide, Paradise Church, where Planet Change came out of. I did my Bible college there and got involved in ministry in that church, great church. And in the year 2000, I moved to Brisbane and where I ran Youth Alive and um, where I first met you, I think. And then uh, about 15 years ago, uh, we were working in a big church here, running youth and young adults and doing a lot of missions work. And then... We really felt God speak to us to plant a church here in Brisbane. I see church 15 years ago and uh, we, we got 30 people. We started in a movie cinema and didn't know what we were doing. We just had, didn't go to a conference, didn't go to a seminar. I wish I had now. And I would have done a lot better in hindsight, but just yeah. stepped out and planted the church. And it's been a wonderful journey the last 15 years. And, and now we have about, uh, we have nine campuses, um, uh, seven in Australia, one in Hong Kong and one in Mumbai. And yeah, we're loving it. It's a, it's a real great journey and you have your ups and downs, but the church is going forward and we're really blessed with a great community, a diverse multicultural church here in Brisbane, but also uh, I'm so excited that we're in the two biggest people groups on earth, Indians and Chinese. One in every six persons, either Indian or Chinese. Wow. And we're so blessed to be in Hong Kong and Mumbai, which is significant places. We love it. I love the food there too. It's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously you're talking about we, that's, that's you and your wife. I actually met your yeah. wife before I met you because when I went to Bible college, she was just sort of, graduating the year that I kind of came in and, and, and that sort of thing. So married to Joe for how long? How many kids? 20, that 25 years. 25 years we've been married and she's definitely the best part of my life. She, I'm, she's the best part in this partnership. And um, yeah, I come from a long line of publicans and prisoners. And my wife comes a long line of preachers and missionaries. So it's a good team. <laughs> so you know sinners, she knows saints. And so the combination is working really well for IC Church, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to reform myself. We're getting there. <laughs> Paul, one of the things, one of the stories I love about your life, and I know I ask you to tell the story every <laughs> single time, 
but it's it's the faithfulness of of small things it's the faithfulness um of someone seeing something in you and going out of their way for you to become the man that you are today um certainly instrumental in that of course you know we give a lot of credit to your parents and and, and different things like that and the pastors that you've served under but but paul can you tell us about tell us about the farmer who who went out of his way to really win you into the cause of Christ and and and, uh, and serving yeah. the Lord. I, I, I love telling the story. And um, so we were in a town of three thousand people. And we had a we were a pioneer service from another country town to dairy farming district. So I was the only teenager in our church. And so the nearest on fire youth group all my high school years is about probably 30, 40 kilometers away. And there was this one youth lady. He was a single farmer. He's about thirty two. He milked three hundred cows in the morning and three hundred cows at night. And and back then, youth ministries were on Saturday night, mainly in Australia, and in the 80s. And for five years of my life, every Saturday night, he would finish milking the cows. He'd drive from his farm 20 or so kilometres to my house, and then he'd pick me up and we'd go 30 kilometres to the youth group. And he did that all the way through high school. And, and I can honestly say some of the best conversations in my life were in that car. That car, every week, he'd take me out street witnessing. He'd, we'd go to youth group every Sunday. We'd pray together in the car. We'd talk life. And the funny thing is... Uh, when I left that country town, when I finished high school to go to university, I never saw him for 10 or 12 years. And I came back years later, caught up with him, maybe 12 years later. And guess what he was still doing? Still milking cows morning and night. Still a youth leader. I think he was married by then and he got married in his early 40s. But um, still picking up kids every Saturday or then Friday night and driving into youth group. Still a youth leader in the local church where he was, um, Pentecostal church. And just a great story of faithfulness. And and I think that, you know, in your teenage years, when you're going up and down, to have some people like that, a mentor like that, that um, just was there for you every week is amazing, you know. And I really credit my desire for ministry and the call of God probably from a lot of those drives um, in the back roads of country Victoria. I mean, for him to go out of his way every Saturday like that is, is, is pretty remarkable, isn't it? It's, you know, I think in today's day and age when a lot of people live, are living for themselves, wrapped up in themselves. This guy saw something in you and in the next generation, which is, which is remarkable. Paul, one of the things that I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you um, about, about next generation, talk to you about the next, next generation of leaders, because one of the things that you've been involved in in all your years of ministry is, um, is raising up and empowering the next generation of leaders. You were Youth Life Director for Australia. Can you give everybody watching a little bit of a context to what is Youth Alive in Australia? Um, you know, when you were leading it, how big was it? Tell us a little bit about the events, the rallies that you're doing and things like that. You know, well, Australia has different states and uh, I was leading the Queensland state, which is a big state, it's about 5 million people in our state. Um, Brisbane's a capital, about 2 million, but it's a very big state, like 3,000 kilometres long. That's how long the state is. You can drive 20 hours and not get to the end of it. Amazing. Um, and then I was also Youth Alive for Director for the Nation. And uh, we really focused on getting youth groups together, leadership training, uh, developing leaders in the local church and youth ministries and then outreach, school outreach. And so we bring Reggie Dabs to town and we do a tour for three weeks and we do five or 6,000 Ks. We do 19 regional cities and sometimes we'd have up to 18 or 20,000 people come to our events, but we might do face-to-face -face with 50 or 60,000 students uh, mm -hmm. in seminars and schools and inviting kids out and we might see... So I think our best year was about 5,000 on one of those tours got saved, um, first time decisions. And so, yeah, it was an awesome time. Um, and, um, you know, we do a tour, the big one would obviously be in our capital city here, Brisbane. We have maybe 
nine or 10,000. Then we'd go to all the regional centres and be from 500 to 2,000, depending on the city um, outside in Queen. We just do that for Queensland. Um, and, uh, but, but, but a big part of that was just networking leaders and encouraging churches, big or small, to release leaders um, for the future of the church. Because young leaders, especially the engine room of any church, you know, yeah. young adults, um, youth leaders, you know, and if you're a youth leader, a young adult, you know, you're, you've got energy, you've got time, you've got lack of commitments, you know, you've not got a mortgage and two kids and, and it's a great time of life and that's the engine room. But also, like, um, I just really feel that uh, it's, it's, if we can harness that generation and excite that generation, it, it, it brings life to the church. And so that was really my heart always, and still is now as a pastor, is bringing leaders, young leaders through. Paul, one of the things that obviously you would do on tour is you would go to my, my hometown in Australia. Now, uh, there are people in the United Kingdom who don't believe that this, that this town, that this city exists. Um, <laughs> but of course, you know it does. And, and what's the name of that city? Toowoomba. Toowoomba, which is an indigenous Australian word meaning, meaning two swamps. That's where I grew up. Um, and listen, Australia is, 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 is multicultural in so many senses, isn't it? You know, um, we have the Indigenous Australians. My wife grew up in, in Sydney. You know, Sydney's been so multicultural. She Very is, multicultural. Uh, uh, if you're from New South Wales, you are effectively what we call a cockroach. And if you're from Queensland, you're a cane toad. Is that right? These are some of, some, some of the terms that we have for each other. <laughs> Yeah, Toowoomba's a great town, though. It's 100,000 people. It's a farming district. It's a wealthy district. Um, there's some great churches there. and um, But, yeah, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of coming from Toowoomba. At least you no, had 100,000 people. I grew up in a town of 3,000 people, mate. <laughs> yeah, but you got to understand, there was only 60,000 when I lived there, so it's grown a fair bit. Oh, I that, look, yeah. it's definitely grown, and, and it's very multicultural. There's a lot of uh, East Africans and the Horn of Africa immigrants there. It's a great multicultural city now. Listen, mate, uh, coronavirus has really kind of hit the, hit the nations of the world really hard. And it's certainly changed everybody's lifestyle where, you know, we would all have a, a normal pattern and a normal, normal rhythm to life. Now everything's, you know, different. And I, I guess if you would have said to most people in January or February this year, you know, what will 2020 look like? None of us really would have envisaged it, it look like this. Um, and it certainly has been... Uh, quite amazing to see how it's affected the world. I, I wonder, just in the context of, of speaking leadership right now, what have you been saying to the leaders in IC Church? As soon as you kind of saw that lockdown was, was approaching Australia, what have you been saying and what have you been faithfully saying to your leadership team and to leaders around the world? Well, firstly, it was a big adjustment for all of us, but the focus was, do we have an online content for youth, children's and church, that was a big focus and making sure we had some level of quality to that. Because, um, And then secondly, was just people focus. Are we caring for people? Because I kept saying to our team, I still am saying to our team, hey, one day the, the restraints are going to be lifted. What's going to make people come back to church is the fact that they feel they're loved by their local church, their small group leader, their pastor. And so, um, and that's been a, a continual message in that, um, you know, and so... And, you know, it's, after you've run through all your database once, what are you going to do next? You know, so this, this month our congregation is delivering a note, a package and some cookies and just trying to do creative things to keep that, that they feel loved and connected by their church family so that when the restrictions are released, 
we're going to have that sense of oh, my church cared for me while we're in lockdown. Um, so connect group leaders following up and Zoom meetings and small groups, just the focus on that really being strong. It's probably been my, um, like a broken record message to my leaders in our church, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and in terms of maybe a word from God that you've been hanging on to, a word from God that you've, you've been speaking into the church, into leaders in this season, have you got one, one thing that more than anything else that you've been saying again and again, here's what the word of God says, here's what God is wanting to achieve in this season? Yeah, well, our word for the year was that scripture launch out to the deep, let down your nets for a catch, and at your word, I let down your nets. And that was our vision Sunday in February, and it, I didn't realize what that would actually mean, you know, and now it's unfolded. So we've really kept saying to our people, well, you know, your lifestyle may have changed, but your faith and relationship with God hasn't changed. What is the word you're hanging on to personally for your family? If it's a business struggling business so nevertheless, whatever circumstance are saying at your word, God, I'm going to let down the net. So, you know, we've had businesses that have increased in their turnover, but some businesses have shrunk to nothing. And we've been encouraging those business people. Hey, What's the word that God gave you when you began this business? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's speak that over this. Launch down your nets. And even though it may have been barren, God can supernaturally. And we've had some amazing testimonies and miracles of people being laid off and got jobs. And so I've, I've keep coming back to what's God saying to you? What's his word to you? Because at your word, not at the circumstances of the environment, I'm going to let down the nets. I'm going to keep being obedient to God. And so, yeah, that's probably been our word that we keep coming back to um, mm. and encouraging our, whether it's departments or, small group leaders or our, our whole church in general. And, you know, the, the Bible does say in Romans 10, hey, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, so in, in what way have you, have you done anything to change your, your devotional times during the season? Um, you know, is there any way that you've, you've, you've shaken it up or anything like that, that, that says, you know, your, your daily routine with God looks a little bit different or what are you doing that is working for you in terms of your, your Bible time during the season? That's a great question. I don't know about you, but I was lost the first two weeks. I struggled. Besides the, the manicness of getting everything online and changing the church and making sure I connect groups with the Zoom, my personal world, I like to go to the cafe, read my Bible. I like to go for a walk. And, I, and my whole routine, after 10, 12 days, I thought, I've got to actually structure my world. Um, and, and I felt lost on, I don't know, other pastors felt, I felt lost on Sunday. I, I felt just really discouraged because for, Last 30 years, I've got up at 5.30, got into Sunday. It's just the day I look for in the rest of the week. So I had to really, after about 10 days, look at my life and go, okay, what, what's Monday going to look like? What's Tuesday going to look like? And um, I had to adjust probably some of my routines I've had for years to read the Bible, to go for a walk and pray, and to fellowship with other people. I'm a very people person. Like my wife, Jo, she's a people person too, but she gets her strength from being alone and being in the Word, where my strength comes from fellowshipping with others and getting into prayer. So I just started doing a lot of prayer walks and, and just ringing pastors. I find that, you know, just telling you, how you going, what's happening or pe key people in my church. And I went back to some real basics too. I thought I can't have church. So I just personally, in my own life and my pastoral team, I arranged visitation nights that we would just go on the road when, when it started opening up a little bit. And that's just been the greatest joy. Um, it's it's yeah. like the days when I pioneered the church and, um, yeah. and, and, you know, that's been some of the adjustments I've made. So to anybody watching this right now, if, if they, you know, struggle with a, with a, a routine of, of Bible reading, of prayer, you know, I think, I think we talk to Christians around the world who, who love God, who love church, and at times can, can use church almost like a uh, McDonald's takeaway service, drive into church, 
get the uh, get the food of the word of God, take away, go away. But of course, as we know, you know that's good. Takeaway is good, but there's nothing like home cooking. What, what, what sort of what sort of skills, um, what sort of advice do you give to people who say, I don't want to live on just takeaway preaching. I want to actually become somebody who who reads the word of God, studies the word of God, has a quiet time. How can somebody start small and then build up to actually becoming a real good home cook of the word of God? Yeah, well, then when you go to church on Sunday, it's the icing on top of the icing cake. Icing on the cake. Yeah. The I, think, I think it's finding out how you can hear from God. Like, I know some people, it's worship. They'll just put worship on and they'll sit in their room and just, for other people, it's getting out and going for a walk in nature. I can't pray in my office. I find I just get distracted by the computer, by books, by people. I've got to go for a walk by myself and pray. And I found that's my way over time to connect with God. And so, but you know, I think also some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. Like um, I, I find that if I try and read my Bible before I go to bed, I'll be, I'll be in the Z land snoring. So for <laughs> me, the discipline is the first thing of my day. My first routine is that I'm going to read a chapter and, uh, and, and, you know, I think sometimes people get extreme. So like, it's like when you go to the gym, you can't go extreme. You've got to build yourself up or dietary. Mm. You've got to build yourself up. Small adjustments over a long period of time have massive results. And so mm. when it comes to Bible reading or prayer, don't say, well, I've never done any Bible reading. I want to read two hours a day. Well, say, so, okay, I'm going to read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. I'm going to read one a day. And I'm just going to take some notes on my iPhone or write it down and, and break it down into some things that you can actually achieve and go, wow, this week I ran seven seven chapters of Proverbs, one a day, or the Gospels, you know, don't start at Deuteronomy or Leviticus, get into some <laughs> stories, you know, the Gospels or the Book of Acts or, you know, and I think, I think it's, 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 it's having a plan and then going, okay, I can do this. And then for me, uh, you know, it might be, uh, I encouraged someone just the other day, I was talking to a business guy and said, well, you know, don't, he's working from home and he was finding the frustration of family business and I said, well, just take half an hour at your lunch break and leave the home and go to the park and read your Bible 15 minutes and pray to God. And, and I, think, I think small adjustments over a long period have major results rather than trying to be this extreme person that you have a big week and then you don't, haven't changed your lifestyle, you know. And I think that would be my encouragement to people out there. Is, and, and God wants to speak to you, not just wait till Sunday. He'll speak to you on Sunday at church, but he wants to speak to you personally during the week. So turn off the talk back radio or the radio and listen to some worship and the car going to work. And there's little things that we can do that can pivot our tent towards God, not towards Sodom and Gomorrah, as it were, to, to, to be in the place to hear his word. And some people love podcasting, you know, and there's some really good stuff out there. But, but you know, reading the word for yourself and, and fellowshipping God and prayer and worship is, is a powerful thing in the life of believer if we can make it a daily part of our routine. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, one of the things that we talk about in theology is the difference between the Logos word of God and, and the Rhema word of God. And so really, when we're reading the Bible at times, it is in many senses, the Logos word of God. It's living, it's active. Um, it actually goes into us like, like a yeast in a sense, and it, and it grows and it comes to life. And, and, and it's amazing how in those really difficult seasons, the spirit of God can bring back to our memory things that we've read yeah. weeks, months, even years earlier because it was living within us. But there are other times when, when you're reading it, it's like a rhema or the now word of God that all of a sudden something happens. How do you know, Paul, when, when the word of God has become a, a rhema word of God for you? And can you give us an example of a, of a, you know, a time in, in recent weeks or months where you just had a word from God, you were reading the word of God, you knew it was a rhema word of God, and by acting on it right there, 
faith began to increase, you know, within your spirit. Yeah, I think the Bible says faith comes by hearing him by the word of God. And sometimes I think we don't give God the fuel or the the the, the yeah the um the the resource to to speak to us, and we're relying on other people. And oh, I think I think look, it's in big things and it's in small things. And I think um uh you know uh I can think of many times in my ministry life where it didn't look the, the step of faith I took didn't look good in the natural, but it was really on a word from God. And, um, you know, I think leaving home to go to Bible college for me was a big time when I just was asking God and asking God and God just gave me a scripture, just came alive out of my, out of the pictures. Like I couldn't argue if I didn't obey this, um, I'd be, you know, totally disobeying God. And so I think, um, you know, um, I remember when we had a flood here um, and I had to do a big insurance claim. We're fighting the insurance company for a million dollars and they wanted to give me $250,000 and I thought we're going to go broke. And I I was anxious, anxiety, pressure, and I was just praying and praying and praying. And the Lord said to me, you know, tithe. I was reading Malachi 3.10 and the windows of heaven will open. And I'm like, what does that mean, God? So I went to the board. I just had this revelation and I said, guys, what do we believe we need to finish insurance claim? Everyone said a million dollars would fix us and secure our future. I said, well, let's tithe in faith to believe for that. And we looked at that bank account. We had about 120000 in there. So we made a check to all these different ministries that blessed us as a pioneer church. And we'd been fighting that insurance claim, I think, nearly 18 months. And within a week, it settled. And it was that ring of word. But I would be in my own strength, stressing and pressuring. And I read the word and God just like, like a lightning bolt spoke to me. So that's one illustration that sort of comes to my mind that that, that that was like a lightning bolt word. Sometimes it's not like that. It's just the following the principles of God's word. But that moment was a lightning bolt moment, a real word moment. You know, I mean, it's great because uh, years ago, when when we moved into our current building church facility in, in the city centre of Manchester, we we uh, had permission to, to move in uh, to lease a building on a short-term lease. Um, but we needed to have a rezoning change for, for the car parking. And, um, and so we were, we were waiting to, to sign the lease based on the rezoning by the government and, and, and different things like that. And there was that sense where, you know, um, we couldn't move in, but we had to move in because in eight weeks, seven weeks, six weeks, we had audacious conference, 12, 1,500 teenagers coming in. And we had an empty warehouse that had no running water, uh, you know, well, no bathrooms. I mean, there was just nothing there. And one day I just kind of was, I was in in Australia actually, and I was reading the word of God and there was a, an obscure passage that said they began to build parts of the wall without permission. And I just, something just ignited in my spirit. And I rang the team. I said, guys, let's start getting the builders on site. Um, You know, we've, we've had permission. They're like, where's the permission? And I read the verse from scripture. And so we had these three days where people started to move in, not yet to start work. But, but getting ready to start work. Um, wow. and, then, and then we literally, an email came in from the government, from, from the council saying, you have permission to start to, to you know, for, for the zoning change and things like that. And because the builders were just on site, we could start the work and we managed to finish it. And then like an hour later, uh, you know, we opened the doors and 1,500 teenagers, whatever, walked wow, in and that's... walls were still drying with paint and different things like that. But it is it is the now word of God, which I think is so important for every person out there, business, uh, you know, whatever they're right. doing in lockdown right now. I thought of the thought when you said about before you talked about um, identifying leaders. I remember when we first came up to Brisbane from Adelaide and 
like we've been serving Pastor Russell Evans as his assistants for a long time, 10 years. And we're now running our own youth. Now we had this literally had a revival in the church. We had like the teenagers went from a hundred to 700 and the young adults went from 50 to 300. And, and we were doing Friday night youth, Saturday night young adults, four service on Sunday. And by Monday, me and Joe were just exhausted. We were dying. We said, Lord, we, we need leaders. And, um, and I was like, God, how do I, and I just didn't know what to do. I just, I'd exhausted all my knowledge of being a pastor for 10 years. And I didn't know what to do. And, and I remember just crying to God, saying, God, show me leaders. And God shed to me, showed me that passage out of um, when David was brought before, uh, Jesse brought his sons before the prophet Samuel, but he didn't bring David. And God looked at the outward appearance, but a uh, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And God said, I'm going to give you eyes of not Jesse, but eyes of Samuel, you know? And, uh, and we had an altar call one Sunday night church, uh, guest ministry, and all these young people flooded to the altar. And the Lord said to me, get out of uh, a pen and paper and write down these names. See, these kids will get touched by God. And some of them were really rough and some of them were like, anyway, I got in the car after and said, Joe, I think God told me I've got 23 leaders we're going to invest in to be our new leaders for our youth and young adults. And she said, what do you mean? She goes, I was at the altar call and the Lord said to me, get out a pen and paper and write down these names. And the two lists, one my wife wrote and I wrote were the same 23 names. Wow. And, and it was like, and we then... Uh, had them over for lunch every second Sunday and we called it a discipleship process, a course because we didn't want to tell them it was a leadership course. But by the end of that year, we had 23 leaders that became some of our best kids leaders, youth leaders, young adult leaders, probably four or five are in full-time ministry today. And it was like, I couldn't see the leaders, but God saw the leaders, you know. I could just see the outward appearance. And I think it was one of, the, just those, one of those God moments where he spoke to us together and we just took a risk and invested in these young guys. They were rough and ready. One kid was an ex-drug addict. One kid had been a crim, but they just became champions for God, you know, um, and some are in the ministry still today at different churches around Brisbane. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing story. Well, l- let's jump on into, into the conversation on, on next gen there, Paul, because um, what, what sort of, what sort of characteristics or, or what are you looking at when you look at a young person or really any person in your church but, but you're identifying, oh, gosh, I think there's, a, there's a, a touch of God on their life, a call of God on their life for leadership. What, what are some of the things that, that you're looking for that, that make you think that? I think I'm obviously looking for a heart for God in their relationship with God and then a heart for people, probably the two biggest things um, in that. And, um, and a willingness to serve would probably be the third thing, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously there's gifting and talent, but... But, you know, I think the first thing God really wants is our heart. And, and are they also uh, able to be a part of the team in the life of the church? And so much of the church is about serving others, you know. And you know that scripture the Bible says, uh, when you'll, you'll be refreshed as you refresh others. As you water others, you'll be watered. And, and I think, um, yes, yeah, so I'm looking for heart and, and young people. And, look, sometimes it may not, I'm not looking for perfection. Because, you know, I, someone believed in me and I was not a very secure good kind of teenagers, foul mouthed swear, and I was trying to be a good Christian until I had the, God grew my maturity and my faith. But someone saw something in me and invested in me and gave me a go and believed in me. And I think sometimes as I get older, I can get more conservative in my risk-taking in young people. And every now and again, I've got to be challenged. So I'm looking for young people that are at the altar worshipping and I'm looking at who's serving and volunteering and and thinking, who can I develop on that level? So it's probably heart and servant, heart for God and heart for people, servant heart, yeah. Yeah, some years ago in the UK, Simon Cowell and his team in, you know, created this thing called the X Factor. The, the anointing 
and the X factor. I, I guess X factor is probably a good word to describe the anointing. When you see someone who's got the anointing, you know, I wonder if, if two things, if you can, can you describe for us, what is the anointing? What is the anointing on a person's life? What's the anointing at work in, in your life? And, and how do you identify that in another person? Well, I think, I think I remember Glenn Berteau sharing this illustration that God gives you the anointing for the calling he's given you. So maybe a musician or business person. It's anointing to be a business person. I felt when I got married, God gave me anointing to help become a better husband or a parent. Or, but personal character, to carry that anointing is our responsibility. We don't, we don't conjure up the anointing. The anointing comes from God for us to do a task. But the, the Holy Spirit does that. But I feel it's our responsibility to build our character, like not to build a house on the sand, to build a house upon the rock so that we can contain the anointing. Because we've seen very anointed people over the years and their personal world is so chaotic or so, um, uh, you know, it's not strong that it falls over when the storms come. And I think uh, it's two things. There's a, there's a, the anointing comes from God, but then there's a personal responsibility for us to build our character and to build the strength of God into our life, to live by God's principles, you know, uh, and to, and so, you know, and look, none of us are perfect. We're all a work in motion, but we should be by glory, by glory, we're changing to be more like him. And, um, and, and I think, you know, I, I used this illustration to a young leader the other day. I said, you know, we should be getting better. You know, I said, uh, you know, if I was adopted into someone's household, I will take on the characteristics over time of that household. Well, when we become Christians, we become adopted sons and daughters of Christ. We should be growing more and more to be like Christ. So wow. the anointing is a, power, is a powerful thing, but it comes from God. And you recognize anointing on people and you think, oh, wow, that teenager's anointed. But then I look at his character, I'm like, wow, we're going to have to really work. That's what discipleship is and, uh, and helping us work through that. So, you know, um, we can't just rely on the anointing, but then also we can't just be going, following a set of rules because that's a structure. We, we need God's anointing. It's what brings life. So that's probably the way I see it in that realm, if that makes sense. So what does the anointing look like? If there's a pastor or a leader out here who's saying, I'm looking for anointed people. And if we, if we can't manufacture or conjure up the anointing, if it's something that God puts on us, how, how do you know? What, what, what's, what's the telltale sign that that person has an anointing on their life for a specific thing? Well, I've seen people that have an anointing for organisation. Joseph was an administrator and Daniel was an administrator. Like some people think, oh, that's not a godly thing. You need to be a preacher. Well, mate, they were anointed. They ran nations. They saved people. So there was an anointing for administration. There's an anointing for business. Um, or, you know, sometimes we think it's just always in the church context, which is awesome. We'd say that's an anointed worship leader or anointed preacher. And, hey, by the way, sometimes I felt like preacher. I haven't been anointed. I need God's anointing. But, but I think it's... I think that's where as leaders, we've got to discern that. And I keep praying that prayer I prayed many years ago, Lord, don't give me the eyes of Jesse that, that lead David out in the field. I want to see beyond. I want to see the heart and the calling in someone's life to call out the gift of God on them. And so, um, you know, like I'm, uh, some guys I've taken a risk on that have been rough diamonds as it were, but they've become very, there was a showing of the anointing. It might've been for worship or it might've been to be a connect group leader, small group leader. They're reaching out to, bring people together they've got a charismatic gift they've got a talking gift i don't know it's it's sometimes some things are intuitive and some things are you know um uh, uh you can evidently see that but um yeah everyone's a little bit different i don't know if, that, I don't know if that's confused or <laughs> be clear no well i mean you know i'm as you know i'm second generation preacher second generation pentecostal spirit empowered and um 
at growing up in church, I heard lots of different preachers preach about the anointing, you know, things that happen. Oh, that's the anointing. I remember when I went to Bible college and where I first met your wife, Joe, uh, in my third year, did a dissertation on the anointing because wow. the reality was this. I got to the end of college and it was still, it was a little bit hazy for me and really identified that the anointing from Old Testament, New Testament scripture is two things. It's what you're saying, being set apart by God for a task. In other words, the unique thing he's called you to. And secondly, it's, it's the empowering work of God within mm. you to enable you to do those things. So it is a, an incredible combination, isn't it, of things that, that we actually need in our lives. And it's really just about us praying, say, God, help me to understand what you have set me apart for so that I can actually walk in the calling that you have for my life. Because if you set me apart for this, you'll empower me for it. But I think one of the things that I'm frustrated by at times is when people go after something that yes. out of insecurity that maybe actually they're not necessarily called into and therefore have yeah. not, don't have the empowerment of God for it, want the title, want the role, want the opportunity, but don't have the unique X factor touch of God upon them to fulfill that thing. That is, that is interesting, isn't it? And it's the evident to all besides maybe them. But then, but then I look at David. David, what I love about David, he was anointed by God to be king. He knew from yeah. a young age, but he was faithful at every stage of his life to use his gift for God. So he was faithful with the sheep and he was a great shepherd. He fought the lion, he fought the bear and he was an anointed musician and he wrote those songs out, in the, you know, out with the sheep and all that. And then he was faithful to be the shepherd of a few sheep and then it, which grew into the anointed to be the shepherd of all Israel. It's, it's amazing. I think, I think too, what I remember, you know, remember when, when you're first in youth group maybe, and someone asked you to do a scripture reading or a, a Bible study and you prayed for all week fasting for you know, a 10 minute message and you, you wanted the anointing on it. And I think sometimes, you know, um, as we get more and more responsible as church leaders and pastors, we still need to ask God for the anointing for the new responsibilities given us. And, and it's, a, it's a very precious thing and asking God, the Holy Spirit, to help us each day to be the leaders, the decisions we've got to make, the sermons we've got to preach. Uh, man, I don't know about you, Glenn, and I love that explanation of the anointing because I need the Holy Spirit to empower me every day because I know my frailties and my weaknesses and I need that anointing from God to do the thing he's asked me to do. And that may be, um, you know, uh, that's prayer is the ultimate form of humility, isn't it? Saying, God, I need you every day in my life. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Um, Paul, listen, one of the things that's obviously, you know, really current, it's a current affair right now, is the situation surrounding George Floyd and um you know his his death and uh you know the resulting protests and of course the heightened sense of of racial inequality that exists around the world and it's, it's a real conversation it's a live conversation right now and it's certainly something that that as leaders we we can't ignore we need to be aware of and you know the education which i i think we've all received over over recent weeks in terms of our conversations with, with many different people has has been really really um amazing let me ask this question in terms of God's role in the midst of this right now. How can we as leaders become conduits for, for God at work in this situation? Because obviously education needs to happen. Conversation definitely needs to happen. Um, repentance and apology needs to happen. Um, new action plans for a way forward need to happen. And of course, a lot of conversations are, uh, around that right now and, and I'm involved you're involved in those conversations with you know um, indigenous Australians we're, we're involved in those conversations here um, for people from different communities 
how can we as leaders bring the kingdom of God into the midst of this? You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the context of racial inequality and equality, um, how, how can we get God into it? Well, I think there's no doubt since the tragedy of the, that murder of um, George Floyd that, that racism has come to a, a forefront in everyone's mind. And it is evil, it's ungodly. And the Apostle Paul, he says, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male or female. And every person is important to God. Black lives do matter. And there has been injustice and racism. And I think, firstly, uh, I had to take a look at ourselves going, well, what can we do better in our church? Listening to, to we've got Indigenous and First Nations people in our own community. We're a very multicultural church with nationalities from all over the world, just like you are in Manchester. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think, I don't, I don't want to simplify this, but I don't want, I, I felt, I said to the Lord, I don't want to be token, tokenistic in this massive issue. I want it to be real. I want it to be sustainable. And, and I may need to learn some more myself. But I really felt that God say, well, just one of the things was, you know, when I was at children's church and if I was talking to my neighbour and the person asked me a question, I said, and they said, what's the answer for it? I'd say, Jesus. And I think, I think the Lord just challenged me more and more to look at the life of Jesus and to communicate that in the life of our church. Um, we've, had, we've had like a series of conversations and continue to do that about racism and inequality and, and that level. But, but I still think about Jesus. He broke every barrier and um, he spoke to women. He uh, reached out to the Samaritan woman. He should never have talked to her. It's a racial boundary. There's so many things we don't, we just read those gospels and we think, wow, that's what a great story. But Jesus was amazing on every level. And, um, and um, you know, I can't solve personally all the problems that the tensions in the world, they're so big. But what can I do personally is show the love of Christ to others and in, through our church, make sure that in our church, every person feels welcome, everybody is valued. And, um, and talking to that. That's probably been uh, the process. But I think it's, I don't think we've, we've just started that process. It's an ongoing thing. Um, you know, um, Indigenous uh, injustices in Australia are, are massive. You know, the, the incarceration rate is 3% of Australia's population is uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, but 30% of the prison population is Torres Strait Aboriginal population. Well, wow. that's massively. Life expectancy for Indigenous people in Australia is 20 years less than the rest of the population. So, wow. healthy. So, so you know, um, um, the, the America's got race, racism problems, but I've sort of felt the responsibility to go, well, there's a lot of Americans, they need to focus on that. What can we do to, to, to look at the speck in our own eye in Australia that we need to do to, to make, uh, reach out to our um, Indigenous brothers and sisters, um, First Nations people? Yeah. And you know, for me, one of one of the one of the things about racism that that is very real and and very apparent to me from Scripture, of course, is just the fact that humanity is so broken that that actually what sin does is sin creates the barrier, sin creates the divide, and so you know the harmony that we see in the Garden of Eden back in in Genesis, you know, straight away they're just just Adam and Eve sin created a barrier with God and then sin has compounded through the generations. You know, of course we see the story of Cain and Abel, and then we see racial discord appearing through the history uh, that we see, you know, documented through, through old Testament pages. We see nation falling out over nation and, and, you know, and, and all those sorts of things. And, and truly 
racism is the fruit of the root, which is a broken humanity in sin without Christ, which is why we can absolutely say racism is a sin. It is yeah. a sin because yeah. anything that separates one from another is, is, is wrong in that sense. And, um, you know, I love how, I love how the governments over the years, certainly in Australia have been working, have been working to repair the damage done, but it is going to take a while, isn't it? For, for, you know, for society to go on a journey of understanding, learning, repentance and systemic change in every institution and every, and every organization. Yeah, the government here made an apology about eight, nine years ago to uh, Indigenous Australians about the stolen generation, and it was a massive deal, and it was and it was, it was a great thing. But I think, I think, you know, God's God's the ultimate one that can change a human heart, heart, and God's the ultimate one that can change a nation and a land. And yeah, I, I keep going back to that scripture, which we all know is Second Chronicles seven. For if my people, it's our responsibility as Christians, will humble themselves and pray and repent of their ways and ask God for forgiveness, then God will come and heal the land. And yeah. so we have a responsibility first go, well, I might not better change the whole culture in Australia or the whole culture of racism that might be in the UK, but what am I going to personally do? I'm going to humble myself. And so, you know, that was very controversial when the Prime Minister of Australia apologised to the First Nations Indigenous people. But, well, God always blesses humility. And to say, I'm sorry, have I offended you or sorry for the sins of the past and um, how can we bring healing for the future? And so scriptural principles are still relevant today as they were thousands of years ago when we, when we actually dig into the world. Every, every social ill that we faced in the 21st or the 2000s now is in the Bible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think um, we have to look at ourselves. I've had to look at myself as a leader of how I, am I listening to really this generation, what they're feeling and they're hurting and how am I bringing the love of Christ to that and, and um, the message of hope of Jesus? Because ultimately, if I look at that scripture, 2 Corinthians 7, 15, 14, only God can heal the land. And, um, and, but, we, but we are part of that process. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's true, isn't it? God doesn't work independently of us. He works with his people hand in hand. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things that, that we've noted as well is the, the, the generational differences. So every generation has its own nuance. It's its own thing. And so you and I, for example, we are Gen X yeah. and um, Gen X is, is very, in, in many senses, the postmodern kind of type generation. There's, there's no, there's no absolute truths. So everything, everything is relative. And yet it's been really interesting for me in terms of the conversations in the light of George Floyd talking to, to people of different backgrounds, uh, black people from different generations, where the older generation, um, in, in many senses, um, it, it seems um, a little bit more conversational about it. And yet the, the young generation coming up are demanding the, the absolute truth and integrity of the right and the wrong, the, the justice and the injustice of racial inequality. And it's been quite amazing for me over the last two weeks of sitting in Zoom table, round conversation, round table conversations on Zoom, discussing these issues to see the generational differences. And as a, as a leader, we're leading the postmodern, we're leading those who have no absolute truths, and we're lead, leading a generation who want the absolute truth of justice and injustice and different things like that and that the tension in and of itself is is quite unique isn't it baby boomers 
Gen X, you know, millennials and, and, and the next generation coming through. So listen, uh, Paul, from the United Kingdom, we, we commend you for everything you're doing in, in terms of your leadership of, of the multiple generations and cultures that you lead in because you're in Hong Kong, you're in India as well. It, it, it really is a, a remarkable thing. Paul, just we need to finish, but but to close, I wonder if you could just kind of summarize for us what do you think? Um, how do you think coronavirus, this season of lockdown, is going to shape the church moving forward? What what, what do you think will be different, and um, and how can you expect? How do you think we can expect life to be different moving forward from this point? Um, yeah, well, I've asked this question of lots of pastors myself, so uh, uh, I think. Um, I just think we've uh, we have to realise that we, uh, church is going to be back in life on Sunday, but but maybe not everyone's going to come back at the same pace um, because of fear of what's happening in the community and um, uh, of the, the the virus and how it's impacted people. And so we're going to keep our online presence going forward. I think we've got to think far more creatively in that space. And even um, like I've had people that probably haven't been at church that much and been disconnected with the vision because their attendance has been, but they've actually got more involved in the vision of the church because they're watching it every weekend on, on broadcast. So, so that's probably messed with my mind. So I think the the creativity in children's and youth and on our online presence, um, like say in our connect groups this week, uh, the, we've gone back to connect groups up to a limit of 20 people in a home here in Australia, but wow. we had this grouping of young, we never used to have good young family connect groups, you know, it was hard to run. But the young family care groups want to stay online because they can put their kids to bed at 8 p.m. They get on Zoom together, all these couples, married couples together with little kids. So that's one thing that you know, a year ago, I never would have thought that's even possible. So everyone else wants to go back to connect groups in the flesh in someone's house or a cafe, small groups where these guys are going to keep online. So I think that, I think also, um, I think um, the opportunity, what, 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 what has COVID brought to us on our pastoral team with what's really important in church, loving people, loving God, or the pastoral care element of connecting with people. And we've been looking at opportunities uh, in the COVID space of how we can better reach our community. And I say this today, I went with four pastors from my team and there's a, a couple down the road from us, a gay couple that run a cafe. And I've been reached, first one I found out was pastors, they didn't want to talk to me, but they're struggling in their business. And today I asked, hey, can we pray for you guys? Because they're just, they're like, we're going to go financially under. It's, our takings are down. And I just thought, again, like, if there was no COVID-19, I would have never had that opportunity to start breaking that barrier down and showing the love of Christ. And I was able to pray for their business. And it was awesome. And, uh, you know, they, they told me to God bless on the way out. And we're starting this. And I thought, oh, well, who knows? We Sometimes it takes a crisis to, to change our, reset our thinking to go, well, where's the opportunities for the future? And I've been challenging all my staff and all my departments going, what, what things outside of the boundary we've always focused on is God opening up for us. So a classic now for us would be, we've been trying to get on a university campus here for years. We've been rejected by the student union. We don't want Christians. Well, through this COVID-19, like in the last 10 weeks, I think we've given over 4,500 hampers and 12,000 kilograms of food. And now we've become integral to the student life on campus. And, and through serving their community, we're going to have an opportunity now to speak. And I think post-COVID, we're going to have credibility on the university campus, which for probably nearly eight or nine years, we've been struggling to get in our own strength. And God's opened up a door by serving the international students because they don't get government benefits. They cut, they've lost their part-time jobs. They've got no money coming from home. 
some of these guys, do I pay my rent? Do I eat? And so we, thousands and thousands of international students would be partnering with the secular university to help look after their young people. So yeah. uh, there's opportunities there, but um, yeah, so creativity and, um, and yeah, I've been asking the Lord for that and talking to our team. We're just having, I don't know about you, Pastor Glenn, but we've been having lots of discussions, getting feedback from a team saying, well, what, what, what do you think? Because Sometimes the revelation comes directly from me for the direction of the church, but sometimes it comes from the grassroots up. Some of the sure. best ideas have come through the people in our church, lay leaders and staff members um, on that level too. Yeah. Well, Paul, listen, thanks so much for joining us for Friday Night Live. It's been great to have you with us on, uh, on Instagram tonight. And for everybody who's, who's watching this, going to watch the playback of this, we, we really love and appreciate you. Please send our love to Joe to your boys, to your new daughter-in-law as well, and also to the IC Church community in, in Australia, India, and Hong Kong. Look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this Audacious Podcast. We'd love for you to join us at one of our church services happening every Sunday, 10, 12, and 5.30 p.m.